This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the Kings Bulls podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Abanowski on here, as we always do. How are you doing, Rich? You really hit the emphasis on that one. You really want to know. I almost said, like, what's up? Something different, but no. No, gotta know. Gotta know how I'm feeling. Uh, appreciate that people have been pointing out on Twitter that you ask this every episode and I give a way to thought out answer about how I'm feeling when you're just trying to greet me. But but listen, that's our thing now. And uh, I'll tell you how I'm feeling today. Don't know that I have a good word for it, but what's maybe maybe our guest Tim Maxwell can help me put this into a word. But I'm... I'm feeling ready to burn it all down. <laughs> what do you think? How would, how would you say, how would you phrase that, Tim? Is that angry? Are you angry or are you more like just tired of it? Um, I don't think it's angry. I think it's, yeah, yeah I'm just like, like don't give a shit right now. So like, I'm just yeah. kind of like cool with that, the apathetic? apathetic it's like apathetic it's like mildly irritated and apathetic and just i'm ready i'm ready to embrace the chaos because we've got a lot of chaos going on today uh we have i mean luca dropped what is it let me just i don't even want to think about it but luca dropped 25 17 and 15 on the kings last night in a win um we had uh, fans chanting, bring back Jaeger on the after game, on the after show. Um, and then there's also just some news going around today. That's the first thing, maybe before we get into some of the Luca discussion, which I think we're bound to have. And before we get into some of the stats that Tim brought here for us, which I'm sure will be very exciting and also very depressing. Um, Sam Mimic's been doing a bit of a podcast circuit today. Is that right? It is. And, uh, you know, before we get into this really quickly, I almost introduced this podcast as the official King's Reddit podcast and was like, you know, do we have to kind of uh, go hard on Tim in this one or we represent King's Reddit? You know, they're not the biggest fans of you over there, Tim. Well, a lot of people aren't fans of me. I'm OK with that. <laughs> like, my wife's downstairs. She's not that big of a fan of me. So I'm OK with that role. I can play the role of the bad guy. There we go. But yeah, we can just get into a little bit of this uh, Sam Amick stuff. The first one that I heard was him on the House of Stra- uh, Strass? Strauss podcast. It's Ethan Strass. Strauss. It's, Strauss. A, it's a rhyme. 
House of Strauss. Oh, see, that makes sense now. Got it. So, yes, uh, Sam Emmett came on there, and they weren't uh, intentionally diving into Dave Yeager, but they started talking about uh, someone, an agent of a bunch of coaches and GMs and uh, who is the agent of Yeager as well. And they started to get into the Jaeger situation saying it was so interesting because there's not very many coaches that are labeled good coaches. And Dave Jaeger is one of those they had said. Um, and just Strauss uh, proposed the question, why is he labeled a good coach? How bad can it be behind the scenes that he's labeled a good coach and still can't get a job? And Amick started to go into the Sacramento situation a little bit. Um, and he started with saying, uh, and this of course got a lot of people upset. Part of the friction he had last year was that he wanted Sacramento to draft Luca. And there was a lot of frustration stemming from that. Um, we could start there, just played Luca in Dallas. Uh, but this was already known, right? I believe this was in the Jason Jones piece that was released when Jaeger was first let go. Yeah, um, I don't think this is a huge secret. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we want to – man, that is an interesting note to start on. I, I guess it aligns well with the Dallas Mavericks game last night, the loss that the Kings uh, uh, suffered at home. I guess can, – can we just rip the Band-Aid off and just talk about Luca for a minute? Are we yeah. good with that? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so um, this is what Dave Yeager wanted, and uh, he he was right in wanting that, right, Tim? Well, yeah, I mean, like, Luca was the right pick, and he would – I mean, I know people will say that we didn't know that he was the right pick, but, like, 95% of people believed he was the right pick, and he continues to be the right pick. He's never – there's never been a challenge that he wasn't the right pick at any time, so there, there's no question he should have been picked. Yeah, that was the worst part is that I, I think even most of us thought that Luca was the right pick, and it was clear to us. And that's one of my favorite pieces that Tim ever wrote was actually just compiling all the big boards and mock drafts and, uh, you know, the professional scouts that are out there. I mean, they're not the, you know, I guess they're not the professional scouts. Those are more in-house, um, and their reports are more proprietary, and, and they're kept a little more secret. But as far as the uh, you know reporters and journalists and bloggers and just you know basketball analysts that are known for being draft experts, I'm pretty sure. And correct me if I'm wrong, Tim. He was just a consensus number one prospect. Yeah, I think there was one or two major publications from like random authors that had him number three, um, but he was pretty much a consensus number one or two by, like I said, 90, 95% of publications that are respectable, not like the random blogs out there. But even the random blogs, they were pretty right. Anyone who watched Luca um, play in the second best league in the world and dominate at age 19, um, you could see his stardom. Even if you didn't see his stardom to a 30-point triple-double average as a second-year player, um, you could see he was going to be a great player. And I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I legitimately, it boggles my mind how the Kings missed that when no one else did. It's just... It blows my mind. Well, someone else missed it, and that's the Phoenix Suns, to be fair. Yeah, but, they announced that they were picking Aiden before the draft, too. Yeah, but uh, also, to be fair, the GM that was in charge during that pick has since been fired. So, 
I mean, to me, it, it's uh, it's a little bit of a different situation there. Luka Doncic, in case you don't, don't know, um, you definitely do know if you listen to this podcast, but in case you don't know, averaging 28.8 points, 9.8 rebounds, 9 assists in just his second year in the league. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe we are beating a dead horse, whatever, whatever. I get that. I don't think that we talk about him that much. I think that we've, I, you and I, Brendan, have talked about him, I believe, twice this year, really just in the context of the games when he's – it's hard not to talk about him when he's in your front yard, when you're watching him play in Sacramento against the team that you're covering. It's, it, it, it's hard to not talk about. And this is a fresh wound still. Like, this draft was 18 months ago. It is not ancient history. To me, it's not bidding a dead horse. To me, you know, we study history in school. We, I mean, if you don't think that every NBA team out there is looking over their past drafts, looking for the players that they passed on, trying to see what they missed, trying to learn from their mistakes, I think that you're, you're wrong about that. I mean, do you think that this is – do you think that it's okay to be talking about this, Brendan? For sure. I mean, I think – the Blazers still get crap for passing on Jordan and then later for pl- passing on KD. Um, I-, I think that this is just part of it. I mean, it- it's fine to talk about the mistakes. And I want to point out that we're not – this isn't us talking bad on Bagley. Bagley can be an all-star. He definitely has that potential. But it's clear that Luka is the superior talent. And it's just frustrating, like we said, that a lot of us saw that. Apparently, the coach in Sacramento at the time saw that, wanted it to happen, and Sacramento still decided to pass on it. And, yeah, like I said, we're not taking anything away from Bagley, but Luka is just so phenomenal. You drop those numbers, that's a year-two player. And you could see it last night when Sacramento was playing them. Uh, when Luka was off the floor, it felt like they were able to come back a little bit. But Luka just absolutely picked apart um, – and took advantage of some a couple of poor defenders on the Kings. Well, and I think sorry, to kind of, I think to further that point, one Luca's not a normal draft pick, right? Like when a team kind of misses, you know, when you've got Justin Jackson over a couple of the guys in his class, you go, okay, well, we missed on that one. Or even you know Lonzo Ball over Darren Foxer, it was the wrong pick. But Luca looks like a generational talent, so you watch this guy dominate the entire league night after night you're going to talk about that even just as him being a great player and then I think the other thing that kind of drives the conversation is that there hasn't been any accountability for that mistake so and not only has there been no accountability there has and I wouldn't expect this on like an official note from the organization but from the organization's can we say um, acolytes there has been no indication or acknowledgement that a mistake was made. So when there's this constant pushback of no, 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 we shouldn't have drafted Luca or Bagley will be just as good, then you automatically kind of want to counter the argument. And I think that's what drives some of the conversation on like social media and things like that. I think that's a good point. I think that if everyone just accepted that, Hey, Luca just is better and just will be better then Bagley, we could probably move on a little bit faster. Um, and, you know, it's probably unrealistic to expect a team to say that necessarily. But, yeah, I mean, um, fire someone, I guess. Uh, I mean, is that too far? Uh, it's what the Phoenix Suns did. Would you think that it would be too far, Tim, to, to say that mm, maybe, probably, 
someone should maybe lose a job over this? If this was a singular event of a generally successful person, I would say maybe, like maybe, right? If, if like, um, I don't know, Maury out of Houston made this mistake or something like that, someone established who was normally a, a successful GM, then maybe for our leadership in front office that has kind of failed for a half decade or so, it's almost a half decade. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't see why not. I don't see any benefit to keeping them on board if I'm just going to be frank. I don't know how you feel, Brendan. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Um, like you said, if, if this was the only issue, then it probably wouldn't be just, but this clearly is not. And I mean, furthering what Amick was kind of saying about Dave Yeager is that he was saying that Dave Yeager's not a guy that's going to bite his tongue on his opinions, no matter what kind of friction it might cause eternally. Um, he's different in that way, um, not being like politically correct and sensitive that he'll share his view on the rosters and just openly call out things that are weaknesses, which is exactly what we don't see the front office doing. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to go personally to my, like for myself, I don't want to say that I think anyone in particular should be fired for, for not drafting Luca. Um, you know, I think that, a reasonable case could be made to, you know, you can put forth the idea that, Hey, maybe if, if a certain person uh, makes these specific mistakes, then maybe they should lose their job. Um, And that's kind of, I think where it gets a little muddier with this situation as well, because while, while we know and acknowledge that the GM of the basketball team makes the final decisions on draft picks, that's not necessarily super clear with the Kings because, you know, someone did lose their job. Not only did Jaeger lose his job, um, he wasn't in charge of that pick, obviously, because he would have picked Luka Doncic. But um, there was a general, uh, assistant general manager, Brandon Williams, that also did lose his job. And, you know, I don't I just genuinely don't know you know, what level of involvement he had, if that was his guy and he was rallying for it. Um, We certainly know that he was pretty outspoken about certain things, going to the media to leak information and things like that, Uh, at least allegedly, you know, that's what we can gather. Um, You know, do you think that that comment holds any weight? I mean, and and here, well, let me put it this way. I think that Sam Amick, going back to, what he said on various podcasts today kind of leads to that. I, I think there's been some comments from him about Vlade Divac kind of being a more of a figurehead than necessarily the one making every single decision for this team. Am I, am I imagining that Brendan? His quote was, he started saying the other part with the Kings is I never truly believed that Vlade Divac was, and then he, hesitated and stopped himself and then says I mean he ultimately gave a big thumbs up on the hiring of Dave Yeager but they had talked uh, uh, to Patrick Ewing at the time I forget the other candidate I think ownership was big on Yeager so whenever you have the synergy that's not totally there from the start that plays a part so yeah that wording sounds like to me obviously that Divock um, was not a fan of Yeager and that ownership kind of overrid his decision and Divock had to go with it. And we've kind of seen that from this organization throughout the last 15 years, whether whichever ownership group you have, but especially under Ron Adive, you never really, I mean, Rich kind of hinted at this. 
you never really know who's making what decision, um, which is fair to say. I think you also eventually have to hold people accountable for whatever title they hold, right? So if you're a general manager, even if you didn't make a certain decision or, or a decision was forced upon you at some point, someone has to be held accountable at a high position higher than an assistant GM who didn't get along with the coach and who maybe had some other things that weren't so great about his tenure there. So, um, and the other thing is if you are going to replace people, you need to replace them with folks that aren't going to be influenced or directed by those within the organization that maybe don't have the best of intentions. And I, I think that's where the Kings continue to fail is they bring in people and then they're not really all as powerful as they should be in that role, if that makes sense. It definitely makes sense. And I wonder, does that change what you want to happen? Because say, you know, say you look at the time that Vladi Divac has been GM of the Sacramento Kings and you can point to certain mistakes that the team has made. Um, you know, even let's just say, okay, you know what? Let's just let's just imagine that Vladi Divac made all those decisions by himself, free of anyone else's influence. Um, you know, then you can say, all right, so the uh, Papianis pick, and you can say the trading the first round unprotected for cap space to sign Costa Kufos. These things, you can say, okay, these were mistakes. These are legitimate mistakes. Let's uh, then say the Kings decide to move on from Divac. In this reality that we know with this muddiness of who's making decisions, would you be concerned, Tim, that mistakes just continue to get made because it's not really whoever's in, you know, in the GM position, but it's, it runs deeper than that. Yeah. I mean, I, I tweeted something similar the other night, uh, something about like firing Luke Walton, which I, I know a lot of Kings fans are like fire Luke Walton, which I don't think Luke Walton has done a good job by any means, but let's just say we fire Luke Walton tomorrow nothing's going to change long-term. Let's say we fire Vladi tomorrow. Nothing's necessarily going to change long-term unless, again, the Kings bring in someone who's going to say, you give me my rightful power or I'm not coming. And if they, if they can kind of work out that deal with a, a known league executive or someone up and coming that has the, the leverage to say, leave me in my role. I mean, I think Dave Yeager kind of tried to do that to a certain extent, and you saw what happened to Dave Yeager. Um, there were obviously other issues there. I, I agree that unless there are changes at the top, and I don't mean necessarily Vivek selling the team, which I know a lot of people are like, hey, Vivek needs to sell the team. Well, I don't know if that's true. If people stop meddling and people let people do their jobs, things can work out. Um, will that happen? Who the hell knows? Yeah, and I, I think you kind of mentioned it that, it's not all going to change with the coaching and we're kind of giving a little bit of praise almost to uh, Jaeger. At least it could come off that way, but I do want to point out, I mean, there's a reason that this guy doesn't have a job. There were other opening open opportunities. Uh, You know, he had a issue with the GM in Memphis as well. And Strauss uh, again, they were being very careful with their wording. Um, I clipped this and put it on my Twitter, but he says, I've heard situations about, where he's been with another team or around other teams and he just acts like a, and, and this is my speculation. It sounds like he's about to say he acts like an ass. Uh, He stops himself, says he just acts very aloof towards front office people. He doesn't play the political game. Um, So I I just want to be clear, like that obviously there is other reasons that Jaeger was fired rather than just not getting along with Lottie Dvac in the Brandon Williams situation. 
Yeah, it's tough. Um, and I, I'll go into this just very briefly because I, I just wanted to use it as kind of a disclaimer regarding the Luca discussion and, and whatever repercussion or repercussions that may have with uh, the staff and hirings and firings and new regimes and what all. Even if the Kings drafted Luca, I'll just say that personally, I don't think that it would have been like as simple as, all right, now it's this team, but just minus Bagley's stats plus Luca's stats and plus all these wins. I, you know, I think that there are a lot of, you know, I think the Kings could still mess it up, I guess is what I'm trying to say in some ways. Um, and yeah, I don't. He has Rick yeah. Carlisle coaching him, you know? Carlisle's an amazing coach. For sure. For sure. And I also think, you know, I've been on record with this for a while and I, I know it's not popular. Uh, definitely sparked some controversy on Twitter yesterday with all these takes, but I personally don't think that it would have been ideal for Fox to play next to Luca. Uh, it would have worked. It would have worked to some degree. I, I just don't think it would have been fully ideal. And I also just – I wouldn't put it past the Kings to make that decision to just build completely around Luka um, and trade Fox for pieces that fit better around him. Obviously, you can't prove that. Obviously, you know, it could have also not happened. But I'm just saying I, I, it's not a one-to-one simple thing. I think that this team probably would have rebuilt – themselves would have had to or should have rebuilt themselves to fit Luca, and that would have involved a lot of players being moved I, I don't think that Harrison Barnes would be a part of this team um, it's possible that even Buddy or Bogey could be uh, in different places we just don't know it, it just wouldn't it wouldn't just be as simple as swapping out Bagley for Luca and everything being great um, I'll move on from that because there are some other pieces of news that uh came out through AMIC, or or maybe they're not necessarily news, but more speculation, specifically about a player I just mentioned, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Can you tell me a little bit, Brendan, about what AMIC had to say on him today? Yeah, funnily, uh, part of the reason the whole Luka thing hurts is because he's such good friends with Bogdanovich, seemingly, and that would have been such a great bromance to have on the team for years. But uh, Tim was actually the one that had tweeted out that there were good notes in a different pod that Sam AMIC came on which was Howard Beck's The Full 48. And pretty much the quote um, is, there's 100% an undercut of Bogdan not being content with the vision they have for him. I guarantee Bogey would rather start. Now, of course, he'd rather start. I I don't think that's too uh, news-breaking. Like, I think every player in the NBA would prefer to start. Lou Williams has come out and said, of course, I would prefer to start. Um, But the 100% undercut of not him not being content with the vision that they have for him in the role and he picked three players that he guessed most likely to be moved and his third player Sam Amick's third player was Bogdan Bogdanovich I I will not be shocked if Bogdanovich is moved and ironically I have no very little to no insider information but like 12 hours before the Kuzma Bogdanovich rumors started I tweeted um, I'm afraid of a Kuzma for Bogdanovich swap, and that was just a total piece of lucky guess on my part. But I think Bogdanovich probably is a little unhappy. And again, I've, I've never seen anything like that. He's never acted like that, and I can understand it because, frankly, right now, he's a better player than Buddy Heald. He's more effective. He's a better defender. He's shooting the ball better. He's a better distributor. He's literally better in every asset than Buddy is playing right now. So 
I think if you're Bogdanovich and you're watching Buddy Heald, you know, jack up 10 threes a game and hit 37% of them and you're hitting, I don't know what he's hitting, 38.5% of his or something like that, I think there is a legitimate gripe there. And if I'm the Kings, and I know this is something that's kind of like started to dribble out of Kings Twitter recently is what if we look to still pay Bogdanovich this summer and then potentially move Buddy because I don't know if you want to invest $200 million into your shooting guard position. So I don't know if you guys feel the same. I guess I kind of contradicted myself, but I think Buddy or Bogey is potentially going to be on the move in the next six months. That's kind of where I sit. Well, first I want to jump in and just point out um, and uh, tell me if this is totally off base, but I will point out that Bogdanovich is not necessarily playing better right now because he's not playing. Um, I just, I, this is something that, uh, well, all right. As a quick side note here, um, it kind of a nice little, little piece of news for me, at least Uh, I have officially joined the Sacramento Bee, which is really exciting for me. And one of the first pieces that I worked on. Um, Yeah. Super stoked. And uh, yeah, just genuinely kind of, uh, shocked and uh, humbled by it. But um, one of the first things I worked on was uh, about Bogdanovich's injury history. And it's, it's kind of extensive. Um, and, you know, he's had knee issues. He's had uh, ankle issues. He's had hamstring issues just this year. He's had multiple knee surgeries. He's missed time before that in the Euro leagues. I mean, and he's how many games has he missed now straight? Uh, it's like five or six, something like that. He's missed eleven games this year. On the flip side of that, Buddy Hield's only ever missed two games in his four-year career. Is that is there anything to what I'm saying there? Uh, there is, but if this is the system that Sacramento is running and the way that Buddy Hield is being used, uh, uh, Tim, you had a great piece on this. Uh, it looks like Luke is looking for a guy that can play make, that they can swing the ball left and right. Either one of the ball handlers can run a pick and roll. And Buddy Heald just cannot do that. And Bogdanovich is extremely capable in that way. Um, the the injury thing is very concerning. But to me, the the difference in the player, if this is the system that Sacramento is riding with, I think overrides it enough for me that I would prefer Bogdanovich here. And one little thing I want to point out, Amick did say Sacramento swears up and down. They're comfortable entering restricted free agency with Bogdanovich. But he said, just looking at the team's past, his speculation was if a good offer comes their way, I do believe they would part ways with Bogdan because their books for a bad team are getting fairly heavy. Um, But what do you think about that whole injury thing, Tim? I think it's a concern, no doubt. Um, and Bogey keeps playing international basketball, which, and, and you know, I, I, you don't want to go to a guy and say, hey, don't play for your home country because we want you to play for our team, which matters less than your home country. So I think that's a difficult thing that we kind of want to say, don't go play for your for Team Serbia. But then, I mean, we would and all love And then the owner to takes him to India. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. So, you know, the injuries are a concern, and he's going to go play again this summer uh, for Team Serbia, I'm sure. Um, ironically Mike Malone might be one of his coaches so that's a concern like you said Brendan I think the overall player and playing style is valuable probably more valuable than Buddy when Buddy is not shooting at an elite level and he's not right now so um, that that's kind of where I where I sit with it and the Kings can sign Bogey and keep Buddy like I, I think it's important to acknowledge that 
they can sign Bogey, keep Buddy, keep Barnes, Max Fox, and Max Bagley, and maybe deal with the luxury tax for one season, like three years from now. So it, it's not an either-or choice, and I feel like a lot of um, less in-depth pieces by like national media or people just assume, oh, if we sign Bogey, we can't re-sign Fox and Bagley. That's just a falsehood. It's just a matter of, A, will we approach the luxury tax, and, and B, would ownership be willing to pay that uh, for a team they hope is contending in two or three years? We don't. It doesn't look like it right now. Yeah, it's definitely worth pointing out that the the money shouldn't really be an issue. I I think that you're right. There's like a technically a small chance that if Bagley earns a max, that there might be one year where if the salary cap ends up being lower than expected, maybe they dip into it, maybe by a couple of dollars, but like truly it works. Like it all works out together. Like this core does fit financially. You can't have really anything more than that to be fair. Um, you know, and you're going to have to let Deadman go from his, his non-guaranteed third year. Uh, same, same for Joseph. Ariza will be gone by then that you'll probably have to let him go um, from his second, uh, not, you know, the second year, which would be next year. It's a non-guarantee, but Hey, that's why the non-guarantees are there as, you know, that's an option. Um, but I just wonder, I don't, I don't know. Hmm. For me, I felt like Bogdanovich was the better player than healed for a while. And then I feel like that really, really, really swung and it really changed. And by the end of last season, no one on the planet would tell you that he was better than Buddy healed. Now, now I think it's swinging back. Uh, I think that we're all testament to that. But like Brandon said, like if this is the way that you're going to use him, but then like why why not just use Buddy differently, right? right. I mean, and, and this goes to Tim's piece uh, about Buddy Heald and about how he's being, you know, forced to do things that he's not good at. Um, I don't want to speak for you, Tim, so maybe you could go into that a little more in depth. Yeah, so the piece I wrote, um, I don't remember what I titled it. Something about Buddy, but Luke Walton's vision for Buddy Hield is unrealistic or something like that. I'm terrible at writing titles. Um, but basically, Luke Walton is using Buddy in more of a point guard initiator role, which may have been somewhat necessary towards the start of the season, although I, I truly don't buy that reasoning. And then... Um, so he's he, he's playing pick and roll about 27% of the time. So 27% of the time that Buddy Heald gets the ball, he's initiating the pick and roll. And we all know Buddy Heald can't handle the ball, is not necessarily a good passer, and never draws fouls. So he's, he's not really effective in that role. And that has decreased his um, his ability to play off the ball, cut, hit corner threes. Um, he's taking more pull-up three-pointers, I think, because he's – initiating more and last season under Jaeger uh, Buddy only ran the pick and roll 16% of the time so it's a massive jump in his offensive usage um, and he only I, I'm, I don't remember these numbers exactly but I think it was 0.91 points per possession as a pick and roll ball handler and I want to say it was like 1.14 points per possession as a catch and shoot you nailed both of those man I'm, I'm good at this aren't I um, it's almost <laughs> like I wrote it and rewrote it 14 times um, so <laughs> Um, and then the other side of the ball, which I know you guys talked about a little bit on the podcast on Tuesday, which I was supposed to be on, was defensively, he keeps getting assigned to these premier scores. Um, against the Suns in December, 
he got assigned to Devin Booker, and he covered Devin Booker for the vast majority of the first three quarters, and Devin Booker torched him because Devin Booker's really good, and Buddy Heald is a terrible defender. I, maybe I shouldn't say terrible. He's an ineffective defender. No, he's terrible. Okay, we can say terrible. All right. Um, yeah, the number – I mean, like, the numbers – The numbers say he's terrible. Prove that. Yeah. Um, and as instead of changing it – this is where I don't understand Luke Walton's strategies. Like, there's a lot I can look at and go, okay, fine. I don't agree, but I get it. But he takes Buddy Heald, puts him on the team's – on one of the league's best scorers, and then in the fourth quarter goes, you were terrible on defense and benches him for the entire fourth quarter. And Buddy has been benched for the entire fourth quarter. I, I looked this up the other day. I think it was five times and has been benched for at least the last six minutes. I think I want to say eight times. And again, those numbers could be slightly off. I don't have them memorized. So because of that, Buddy is posting the worst. And this is one of my stat pieces later, but I can reveal it now. Um, the worst defensive field goal percentage differential. And what that means is uh, the increase or decrease of an opponent's field goal percentage when guarded by a player. So Buddy Heald's um, opponents average 44.6% from the field. When they're guarded by Buddy, that increases to 52%, um, which is bonkers. I mean, most bad defenders are like plus 1%, plus 2%, and Buddy's at plus 7.4%. So you're taking potentially the team's worst defender, putting him on the other team's best scores and then punishing him for not doing well. And, and like, those two, like, dichotomous roles on offense, making him a point guard when he's a pure shooting guard, and then on defense, making him a stopper when he's a guy you should be hiding. I said this in the article. A head coach's main role is to leverage a player's strengths and hide their weaknesses. And for whatever reason, solely with Buddy Heald, Luke Walton has flipped that, flipped that on its head. And, and it's just infuriating. I know you guys feel the same. I, it, it legitimately makes me go crazy every night yeah and part of my question with this whole you know rich has mentioned the idea of moving buddy to the bench like how does that get any better like obviously this is on luke like we're talking about here and if buddy's the only guy out there if he is in that bench role and he's the main one running that second unit doesn't that just mean that buddy has even more offensive responsibilities there in regards to initiating the offense rich no i don't think so at all i've talked about this before but i don't think that's true at all i mean Corey joseph is coming off the bench i I think that you have him be the point guard you know why he's a point guard like you know and then when it comes to fox and say bogdanovich if he were the starting lineup in this situation it's again like there's going to be overlap players are subbed in they're subbed out it's not that Buddy would never play with Fox again. It's not that he would never play alongside Bogdanovich. There's you got three ball handlers right there: Fox, Bogdanovich, and Corey Joseph. Any one of them could be the point guard next to Buddy Heald in any scenario. It's I don't think that anyone in their wildest minds, except maybe Luke Walton, apparently, <laughs> would put Buddy Heald at the point guard position and not give him another guard that can handle the ball next to him. And it's not as though we're saying Buddy Heald should never initiate the offense, right? It's, it's the purposeful role placement of, no, when Corey Joseph and Buddy Heald are in the game, Buddy Heald brings the ball up the floor and initiates the pick and roll. And it's, frankly, just stupid. Like, it's, it's just stupid. It makes zero sense. We can, we can talk about a guy growing and, and giving him those opportunities and sure give him that opportunity every once in a while. 
Um, but it's, it's akin to putting Darren Fox in the corner and telling him to shoot three-pointers instead of attacking the rim and saying it's for his development. It just makes zero sense. So, so that is where you're at. Because I know, Brendan, I think you've said you've been a little bit def- defended a little bit the idea that you can improve Buddy's ball handling by making him handle the ball. Well, I, I think just like Tim said, well, doing it occasionally, I, I think that you can improve that. But we've also said before, I don't think he's going to become great in that aspect. I think that you could just get him to a point where he's not terrible there and he's able to put the ball on the floor and maybe make a pocket pass, read if uh, the defense is tagging it all and who to hit. But I, I don't think that there's no way that they should have gone this overboard with it. I think you could have played with it more than last year, but not to this extreme at all. Right. So, sorry, go ahead, ahead, Tim. I was just going to say, and if you're five games in the season and Luke Walton's saying, well, maybe this guy has it in him, sure, fine, that's whatever. We're 41 games in the season and this is still occurring. So it's it's not an exploration. It's a determination of his role. And that, again, is crazy. Except for the fact that I, 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 well, not a fact, but except for the possibility that and I've said this before and it's, it's totally maybe a harebrained thing, but you know, I personally think there's a chance that Luke Walton could be viewing this year as a year to develop the players in the way that he wants to develop them for the future, because he feels that confident in his, in the length and the security of his contract. So I don't know. I mean, that's maybe that's one accusation too far to say that Luke Walton never really expected to make this team the best version of itself this year and to really fight for a playoff spot as hard as maybe they could have. But I think that's a possibility. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. We, we all acknowledge, we all agree, that Luke Walton is not using Buddy Heald in a way that fulfills his potential. So getting back to our conversation of Bogdanovich or Buddy Heald, if one of them were to be traded, you know, doesn't that factor in, into the calculus? Like, wouldn't you say, well, hey, Bogdan Bogdanovich is playing better now. Perhaps it would be best to move on from Buddy Heald. But then isn't it like, well, wait a minute. At their best – maybe we should evaluate these players at their best rather than Bogdan Bogdanovich, who is being used in a way that is helpful to him versus Buddy Heald, who's playing at, you know, in this really odd manner that may be uh, hiding or or maybe reducing his, his skill. I guess I just want to go back to that conversation, Tim. Do you have a strong preference of which player you would rather keep? And, and if, uh, it, let's just say that if you could just have Buddy Heald at his best and doing what, the things that he's good at. Yeah, if I had my druthers, I would keep both. If I had to keep one, and I'm talking about each player at their maximum output or near their maximum output, I'll keep Buddy. Um, but kind of like what you just said, Rich, I think Walton's here for the long haul. I don't think Walton's getting fired this year, and I don't think he's probably getting fired in the summer. I think at the very soonest, we're looking all-star break next year. 
and I'm not even sure then. So if Walton we know is the long-term guy and I can only pick one, I'm picking Bogey because he's being more maximized. But like in a vacuum, both players being optimized, I'll, I'll take Buddy, which I know that's kind of a wishy-washy answer, but I think that's the most intelligent answer I can give. I don't know if, if you're in the same boat, Brendan. I am with that. I, I think that you worded that really well. If Walton is here, then obviously, like I said earlier, he wants somebody that can uh, run the offense a little bit out of both of his guard positions. Then Bogey's the one to do that. Uh, but heel that is max potential. We've said uh, a lot in the offseason and the start of the year that I thought healed was a great offensive compliment to De'Aaron Fox when they're running in transition. Um, he has a gravity to him. Uh, but I. Right now, I mean, assuming Luke's going to be here, um, I would have to go with Bogey as well. And my question for this, if we're only talking about keeping one, it would mean trading the other. Rich, who do you think has a higher value to opposing teams between Bogey and Buddy? Well, let me first say this, which is that to, if you take Buddy Heald, force him to do all the things that he's not good at, and then trade him because it's not working, that would be another mistake to put next to passing on Luca, uh, you know, drafting Papianis and and trading away a future first round pick for essentially nothing. Like to me, you take a player that everyone loved, everyone was excited about, was playing out of his mind, was one of the best shooters in the world, and you turn him into something far less valuable and then trade him. That's that's an epic mistake uh, in my book, but I I get that. But I also think that other teams, other smart front offices and coaches, could look at him and be like, he's just not being optimized and oh, understand. They are value. doing that. They're one hundred percent doing that. I'm saying that that's the mistake that the Kings would be making. Because uh, to answer your question, it's one hundred percent Buddy Heald that's more valuable right now. First of all, he is signed to a contract that is a benefit. Um, you know, Bogdanovich will just become a, you know, albeit restricted free agent, but he will be a free agent. I think that teams, you know, looking at these players, you can say, hey, they might get about the same contract. We'll take the guy that is locked in. And in addition to that, we'll take the guy that played a lot better last year and that we know how to utilize him. And and not only that, it, I will say that being a shooter at the level that Buddy Hill has proven he can shoot the ball at is incredibly valuable. But what are your thoughts on that, Tim? Yeah, I think Buddy has more value um, as a player and his contract situation. And it's also difficult to compare the two because Buddy can't be traded right now because of the poison pill provision. He can't be traded till July 1st, essentially. So, I mean, he could have a, like an agreement agreed, an agreement agreed to, that's pathetic. Um, he could have, uh, a trade could be agreed upon like on draft night and then executed after July 1st. But I would agree that Buddy, he is an elite shooter. I, I think his shooting drop is more um, optimization based. It's not like Buddy Yield forgot how to shoot the basketball. I think Luke Walton also leans into Buddy's worst habits as a shooter, um, which isn't something we really address, but he lets Buddy do whatever he wants and jack up whatever shots he wants. And I, I don't think that's necessarily the best thing for Buddy in the way he plays. So I think, like you said, a smart team would take Buddy and turn him into a 24-point-per-game scorer on 44%, 42% shooting from three, and he would be a potential all-star player with a different coaching staff and better players around him. Definitely. Yeah. And Go ahead. I was just going to say, at the same time, like, you know, that's the thing about trade value and, like, the desirability of 
players, there are teams that would prefer Bogey just for the playmaking. But that's – I'm trying to get that answer as in, like, the majority of teams I think would value Buddy higher. But, again, like we've said, there are teams, the Mil- Milwaukee Bucks perhaps, the Los Angeles Lakers perhaps, that could just want that extra ball handler. But, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, and, you know, Amick mentioned that it'd be different if Bogdanovich was the sixth man on a team like the Lakers or something, like, obviously. But, you know, winning really solves everything. And Sacramento absolutely has the talent to be doing that. I think it would take a little bit of time, but they're getting the pace back a little bit. And there's a chance that when Bogdanovich is healthy that this looks like a halfway decent basketball team. And the way that the eighth seed and potentially the seventh seed of the West is uh, – shaping out I mean this team very much could still be a playoff team and the guys would feel a lot better about themselves maybe there's no issues with roles if that were to be the case and you move forward and you have Fox and Bagley develop while these other guys kind of help keep them in that playoff hunt absolutely Um, that's the thing is like the best move the Kings could make would just be to make reasonable decisions with their players like just let the players play in the ways that accentuate their strengths. Like Tim said, like a head coach should do. Don't uh, pass on generational talents in the draft. Uh, Don't trade around, you know, don't trade future first round picks. Just like don't make obvious mistakes. And this team is in a really honestly in a pretty good place. I I would say a really good place for the future, but uh, I digress there. Anything else that stood out to you in any of these Amic uh, comments? Um, no, that was it, really. Um, I'll take one more quick look through, but that I, was... I saw some stuff on a, a Deadman trade. Um, I did. Oh, yes. Okay, so I heard that he uh, Sam Amick was on KHTK this morning and he was told from Atlanta that Sacramento was asking for a first round pick for Detman. <laughs> just left. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that's exactly how Atlanta felt as well. Tim and, thoughts. Yeah. I, I also had people tweet at me and I did not hear this interview. So please don't take this as gospel that either Atlanta had offered or someone else had offered. It was really unclear, and I didn't have time to go back and listen to the interview, that two second-round picks had been offered for Deadman, or that was the value set. I, again, I, I can't exactly say what that meant, but A, if the King I, – I understand how negotiations work, and I think we all do. Like, yeah, you ask for the big, and then you go for the medium, right? You don't settle for the small. Um, so if the Kings are, like, demanding a first-round pick for Deadman – they're silly if they're starting the conversation with we'd like a first round pick and the teams go no and the right. teams go okay then fine I'm, I'm okay with that I don't want to throw people under the bus because one team told a very reliable reporter that that's what the Kings had said now if it, if another team has offered like an expiring contract and two second round picks for Deadman, I don't know why you wouldn't pull that trigger immediately because I think that's way more than his value is right now I don't know if you guys are on the same page as me though yeah, we actually did a whole episode on Deadman trades, and it's also another thing I'm working on for the B. Uh, it's actually a story I wrote a while ago, but um, just been waiting to get everything situated and lined up with my uh, uh, new role there. Um, hopefully, it will be coming out soon. But that was I ranked the number ten most likely, you know, top ten most likely trade destinations for Dwayne Deadman. I put Atlanta as number one, and it was with Alan Crabb coming back. So that one's off the board, apparently. 
Um, but yeah, like, I mean, that honestly, where I'm at, I thought that it would be one second round pick and I would have taken that. Um, I really would have. Uh, and I think if, if it were Atlanta that offered crab in two seconds or something like that, yeah, I'm absolutely with you, Tim. They should have taken that. But what do you think, Brendan? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you're not playing them at all, and it's better to get something than nothing. I, I know this team already is kind of loaded on second-round picks, looking at four of them this year, if you include their own. Uh, and I like your idea of, you know, you could include a bunch of seconds along with Deadman and try to get a first if you wanted to do that. But it absolutely, it's better than having nothing just sitting on your bench. I understand Deadman could be a good locker room guy from some of the reports, um, but if he's not getting any play, I'm sure he's not going to remain happy here. Um, and one other little piece from the same, uh, the full 48 pod that Amick was on, he mentioned bef- uh, before throwing Bogdanovich out there was that if Sacramento were to trade one person, there's a chance that it wouldn't even be Bogdanovich. And he was sure to mention, mention Bielitsa there as well. How would you feel about moving on from Bielitsa for assets, Tim? I hate it. I hate it. Don't move him. I mean, unless someone's offering a first-round pick, and I don't think someone's going to offer a first-round pick, especially now that this draft looks, from all accounts of experts, which I'm not one of, pretty crappy. Bielitsa is an elite of elite shooters. And not only is he an elite shooter, he's a giant elite shooter, so no one can affect his shot. And he's locked up at $7 million next year. And for a team with some maybe cap issues moving forward, um, they're going to have his bird rights. And he, I mean, he, he, he's, I think he's 30 or 31. I think he's 31. Um, but he's, he's going to age fine. It's not like he's an athlete. Um, he's not even sneaky athletic, despite what some may describe him as. So <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm I just, sorry. Who's, who's described Imani Bielita as sneaky athletic? I think, is this the joke, Tim, that everybody describes the white guys coming into the league as sneaky athletic? Yes, that is correct. I mean, <laughs> are you guys like college football fans like Joe Burrow? The whole thing was he's sneaky athletic because he's white and then the Clemson quarterback, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, he was sneaky athletic. So, yeah, that's the Larry Bird comparison, that sort of thing. Uh, I see. Anyway. I, I am not a college football fan, but I'll say um, – yeah, he's not even athletic in a sneaky way. Nemanja Bielitsa is thoroughly, thoroughly unathletic. But he dunked the other night. That was a nice dunk. But he's awesome. Yeah, right. And he's he's cheap. Like intelligent teams, even when they're not playoff contenders, keep productive, cheap contracts unless the offer blows you out of the water. And I don't think anyone's coming after Bielitsa for a first round pick. And if they're offering anything less, and I know that's a high standard for a role player, I just don't see the purpose of moving him um it's interesting uh i i'll just say that it's interesting i mean if there was truly a first round pick on the table i really would consider that i i i do like the fact that he's on a seven million dollar contract next year and that's a uh, partially guaranteed contract so you could move on from him if you needed to um, I don't know. I actually would consider that. And part of why I would consider it is, I believe you said before the show started, Tim, that stat about Buddy Heald being the worst defender in terms of uh, 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 change in opponent's field goal percentage. I, I believe that Nemanja Bielitsa is second worst in the entire league. 
Yeah. Um, actually, I messed that up when I said about Buddy because I forgot that I updated last night. They're tied for worse. So they're both at plus 7.4%. So they can share that horrible title together. Um, and I, I think that's a factor. Felix is not a good defender. He's not quick. Like, he blocks some shots. I think there's like this pendulum that swung where everyone was like, he's so awful, get him off the floor. And then another pendulum that swung that people were like, he's actually okay. No, he's not a good defender. And I think if you're going to, like we saw last night, if you're going to start Buddy Heald, Imani Bielitsa, and Marvin Bagley, you are asking for trouble across yeah. the board. Um, I don't think that's feasible. So I, I think that's a good point, Rich. And, and like you said, if someone's offering even a late first rounder, I'll consider that. But I, I just, I don't envision that that's an offer that's going to come across to the Kings. I think it's worth considering just because if you look at next year's salary situation for the Kings and you were to let go of Ariza and Bielitsa's non-guaranteed salary, that drops the team down to about $97 million in uh, uh, salary, which, which puts them under you know, a little bit more salary cap space there. I mean, they would have salary cap uh, room under the, uh, uh, under the cap, and that would just make re-signing Bogdanovich a little bit more likely, I guess. Um, you know, that it, it just takes you from a place where if you keep both Ariza and Bielitsa, you are going to be bumping up against that luxury tax. But a, a more elegant solution there is just to let uh, Ariza go and his, his $13 million on the books for next year. Please let him go. Uh, yeah, he is uh, not being good, to say the least. But, yeah, I, I think that Bielitsa, maybe there could be some interest with a – First round pick. I mean, like you said, the draft this year, supposedly what I'm hearing from people that do a lot of their research on that, uh, various reporters, uh, that the draft is not good this year. Even if you're looking at the top, let alone uh, when you're talking a late first round pick. And there's a lot of teams that think they have a real chance of getting in, getting, uh, in real championship contention this year. I think that when you're looking at the top six of the West, as well as the top four or five of the East, that one of the big factors is that Bielitsa has a very uh, matchable salary. I, I think sitting at that 7 million compared to a lot of guys, like if you look at Drummond, Kevin Love, uh, even Marcus Morris is 15 million, Gallinari. These guys are a lot of money that some teams have a lot of trouble matching. And You've made this into a Celtics thing, haven't you? I have not. Celtics couldn't match it either. I thought that was the whole thing with the Celtics. They've only got enough to match like a $7 million contract. Well, I, I guess they could, but like, I, I, I don't think the Celtics are throwing a first round pick at Bielitsa. It doesn't make sense there. I was not making this a Celtics thing. Don't worry, Rich. Ironically, <laughs> I was going to bring up the Celtics, so we can just move on from that if we want. But um, they, have, they have the Milwaukee pick, right? And then their own. And they then obviously do. The pick. Yeah, the Milwaukee pick is interesting there. Um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, a per, like, that's a perfect first round pick to trade if you're going to trade a first round pick for Bielitsa. And they could move Cantor for him, right? I don't know if that makes sense for their roster. I'm not, obviously, you know the Celtics better than I do. It, it, it somewhat does. I, I think that it would end up being one of those centers. Um, and, and yeah, they are rumored to be looking for some wing depth. I just don't know how much I consider Bielitsa a wing necessarily. Um, and I, I think they more so need defense rather than offense on that roster but yeah like you're saying I mean that sort of pick like a Milwaukee first rounder if you're looking at a late first I think that could be on the table for Bielitsa and then at that point you probably would have to pull the trigger 
Well, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, Nemanja Bielica, not good enough for Brendan's Celtics. Let's move on here. Um, I think we've done a lot today. We've accomplished a lot, discussed a lot of talking points. If there's anything else news-wise, cut me off here, Brendan, and jump in. But other than that, I was thinking we could just finish on a quick lightning round from Tim. I think you've got some more interesting deep-dive stats for us. Yeah, so I'm upset with both of you. Um, Brendan stole my Rashawn Holmes stat, and Rich stole my Harry Giles stat, so that's cool. Thanks, guys. Um, let me start with De'Aaron Fox. So he has the – let me see. Um, he's made 158 field goals this season. Only 30 of those have been assisted, and that is the second lowest percentage of any NBA player, and I'll let you guys guess who the number one is. James Harden. James Harden. James Harden is number three. It is Damian Lillard. Wow. Yeah. So um, Fox is, Fox is um, assisted on 12% of his buckets. Lillard is uh, assisted on 10.5%, and Harden is assisted on 13.3%. And then um, the other Fox stat that kind of got uh, went along with that is he's in the 92nd percentile in isolation at 1.12 points per possession and draws a foul 20% of the time in isolation, and he's just dominating that category. He's been fantastic, especially lately. Uh, I mean, that is – if you want to hang – if you're a Kings fan and you are teetering on the edge right now listening to us, go ahead and and settle down and hang your hat on Darren Fox. He's he's our only hope. So I was not around for this. I have not followed the Kings as long as you two. But does this almost get – I saw this on Twitter. Does this almost get a little reminiscent of uh, of a DeMarcus Cousins type situation where it's really one guy just doing it all? That was my tweet. Still I was wondering tweet. if it was you, yeah, but I wasn't was sure. Me. If there's a controversial take that upsets people on Twitter, it's probably for me. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's as egregious as the Cousins situation, especially the Maloofs were worse owners than Vivek in almost every way. Um, but as far as like how I tweeted it was, you've got a superstar, a young superstar or potential superstar, and his teammates, his coaches, his front office, and his ownership are all lagging behind him. And I think that's potentially happening with Fox. It's too early to say that, but I can see that developing if Bagley and Heald, Bogey, and then the front office keeps blowing picks. I, I can see that developing almost like a Kemba Walker in, in Charlotte's situation. I don't know if you agree, Rich. I think he's got Rashawn Holmes with him, uh, so hopefully he'll be back soon. But uh, what's your next stat? Okay, Corey Joseph. Uh, the Kings' pace when Corey Joseph, Corey Joseph is on the floor is 98.37, which is equivalent to the third slowest team in the NBA. The Kings' pace with Corey Joseph off the floor is 101.76, which is equivalent to the 11th fastest team in the NBA. And Matt George had a little interview uh one-on-one with Corey Joseph that he put on the Locked On podcast of Corey Joseph saying that he feels the most comfortable playing with pace. <sighs> yeah. Um, don't talk about it. Be about it. Yeah. I mean, Next. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. Okay. Um, I already talked about buddies. So I'll, I'll skip over that. Bogdan Bogdanovich. This one's silly. Okay. Rich moved the goalpost on what kind of stats I should be looking for like 16 different times. So first it was, I think strange and then it was important and then it was key. So I just mixed them up. I uh, didn't, I never said important. That was Brendan. 
Oh, maybe that was it. Maybe I was listening to your podcast. Anyway. <laughs> I just uh, wanted interesting. I just wanted interesting because this is, we are supposed to, like, people are supposed to enjoy listening to this. That's all. That's where I'm at. That's why you had me on, right? I mean, anyway. Uh, Absolutely. And that, unironically, you're, like, by far, I, I would say, like, our one of our most beloved guests by the by the listeners and the and the hosts included except for king's reddit not so much there all right anyway uh, they listen so, because they hate you so it's, that's you know they can just curse me out on their comments anyway uh bogdan bogdanovich his career average minutes per game have never varied by more than 18 seconds from season to season wow you just so went he, wild with this one yeah, yeah. He averaged 27 minutes and 54 seconds in his rookie year, 27 minutes and 48 seconds in his sophomore year, and 28 minutes and 6 seconds this year. That's interesting. Yeah, there's nothing really to add to that. But um, Justin James has both the lowest defensive rating and the lowest offensive rating of any rotational player. Do you prefer uh, Justin James or Trevor Ariza to get more minutes here? Uh, Justin James, when the Kings are shooting well, I don't know if that's too specific of a standard, but Ariza can shoot and Justin James can't. Um, so I I think that is an important, um, uh, difference between the two players, but I think Justin James is an overall better defender, although Ariza is probably a better team defender. I don't know if you guys feel the same. I mean... Sure. I, I think that Ariza's defense is way overhyped this year. Just because he is capable of playing good defense doesn't mean that he's putting in the effort to actually execute that at all times. I, I, I think that his defense is, is wildly overrated this year. I, um, yeah. I think that he'd be a good defender if he was surrounded by good defenders. That he would he would look a lot better better um i i guess you could say that about most guys actually that doesn't sound quite how i wanted it to but i i think that he is very quick to give himself the easiest assignments like if a switch is beneficial for him then he's definitely going to do it and he communicates it and it doesn't always get through to the other guys um but i i would agree that he's been overrated maybe not to the same extent as rich here um but i i I mean, we've said it before, I definitely want James to get the minutes, and I think his shot has some potential. Yeah, and um, one thing I've said about Justin James versus Trevor Reza before is, frankly, neither player should be getting significant minutes on a contender. So the, the Kings had a wing gap. Like, bef- even after signing Trevor Reza, we were like, well, who's the third wing? And Justin James has come in and played some nice minutes. But, frankly, you need a quality wing off the bench, and the Kings don't have that right now. So neither player should be the option. Yeah, I mean that's the thing that that's the that's the entire argument for Ariza is that hey he's not completely incompetent and players that play that position are rare. So it's it, the argument is never never is the argument Trevor Ariza is playing well. It's always he's not a disaster compared to what we could replace him with. You know, he's not a disaster, T.J. Warren. And he could have been had for free. <laughs> for so, I think we could have got what was it? We could have gotten a pick. Thirty second pick. The thirty second pick. I'm so okay. I got it. I Mo got Harkless. It. Mo Harkless was a dump too. Yeah. Well, I love TJ Warren with all of my heart. Rich knows this. Um okay. Well, you you make sure everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> well, they should know because he's a good player. Anyway, um Harrison Barnes. You guys I think both had pretty negative Harrison Barnes stats. 
Um, and he's had some struggles, no doubt. He leads the team in post-ups per game at 3.4, which is pretty obvious, but he has the third highest foul rate of any post-up player in the NBA at 11%, just fouls, shooting fouls on 11% of his post-ups. You guys want to take a guess at the top two? Drawing fouls on post-ups. Yep. Hmm. Embiid? Embiid is one. He's number wow. one. That's a great pick, Brendan. Hmm. Um, I'll give you I'll give you a hint on the other one. He plays for Portland. Oh god. It's wait a minute. Wait, is it mellow? Don't make me say It's mellow. Oh, that is heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. It's it a weird stat. Um I don't think that stat has any significance. Barnes is really was, good at those rip throughs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that me and Brendan are both pretty like re- like relatively optimistic with Barnes. I mean I know that we had a couple minor stat but the you know i think that those we he's been down lately especially december was really really bad for him but i think that we're both pretty pretty high on his future yeah barnes is a quality role player and you can't ask him to do more than be a quality role player if you ask him more that's when you get in trouble yeah we mentioned that we don't have any of those wings i mean barnes is the only really playable nba wing almost at times it feels like yeah brendan didn't you didn't you pick him for – I guess you picked him for Defensive Player of the Year, and he was your number two for MVP of the year so far. And it was. I think that's a really good argument. Is something that in terms of like what a player's value is, if you just were to replace – or re, uh, excuse me, or if you were to just replace Barnes with whoever, like if you just had to get someone off free agency to fill his shoes, the, the drop-off would be catastrophic. Yep. Harrison Barnes is so important for this team. Um, okay, Trevor Ariza, speaking of non-quality wings, um, he is one of the only two Kings players to rank the 90th percentile or better in transition. He's currently scoring 1.45 points per possession in transition on a ridiculous 72.1% effective field goal percentage. How many possessions is that? <laughs> it was like nine. Or yeah. It was nice. Yeah, because I don't know if I've seen Ariza run really. Yeah. There was nope. <laughs> like two years ago, Costa Kufis led the entire NBA in transition um, points per possession because he had like two transition plays in the NBA, and that made me happy. Um, okay, uh, Bielitsa. There are 94 NBA players averaging at least 4.5 three point attempts per game, and Bielitsa is the third best shooter at 43.8%. I think that was somewhat similar to Rich's. No, yeah, Rich had a like a histor- like a multi year stat, right? Oh, right. This was I was pretty proud of this one. Yeah, he's one of only five players who has shot forty percent or better from three on at least one hundred attempts for the last three years straight. Were Reddick and Morris two of them? I think right. Joe Harris was one. I remember. Yeah, it's Joe Harris, Doug McDermott, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, and. Boyan Bogdanovich. Okay. Redick and Morris are the top two this year, and Bielitz is third. Um, okay. I'm going to save my Bagley one for last because I think it might um, elicit a little bit of discussion. So I'll move on to Rashawn Holmes, which Brendan stole my original stat. Uh, but he is one of 23 players to average at least four elbow touches per game. And he's fourth among those players in assist percentage at 22.9%, which was better than Willie Cauley Stein last year at 19.2%. 
Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, you don't think of him as a passer, but I guess he can hit those backdoor cuts a little bit. Is Harry Giles in there at all? Um, or was that yes, total he, elbow touches? Um, it was per game, and Harry was up there. He was like sixth or seventh, I want to say, because obvi- Harry has better court vision than Holmes, obviously. Um, okay, uh, Giles averages 7.8 fouls per 36 minutes. Yeah, we've <laughs> we've been into this, and that honestly, that's a, a steep drop off. Uh, I we I don't know if you've watched his the games he starts, but. When he's starting, he like is so afraid of fouling and and definitely avoids it. And I mean, and he probably should try a little bit harder to avoid fouling. But just a week ago, I quizzed Brendan on this, and it was eight point eight for thirty six minutes. Well, there he's making progress. All right, um, this will be. Do you guys want the Bagley stat, and then we'll talk about a King stat that work for you? Sounds good. Yeah. Okay, uh, Bagley stat. He has, and I've tweeted this, so it's not brand new. But uh, and this is as of Monday, so it might have changed slightly with his one assist on Tuesday night. Um, he has the lowest assist to usage ratio among NBA player um, among NBA rotational players at zero point two two. He's recorded an, a usage rate of twenty four point three percent and assist percentage of five point four percent. And he also recorded the lowest assist to usage ratio last season at zero point two six. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. This I don't know what to say about that. Other than it just reminds me of this time that a friend of mine. This is like back in the day before I ever used Twitter. Uh, it was when Jordan Clarkson was on the Lakers. A friend of mine just put as his Facebook status that it was like twenty games into the season, and Jordan Clarkson doesn't have an assist yet, but I'm sure he's not tripping. Like exactly, I'm sure. <laughs> that's not so perfect. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we thought. I remember thinking in preseason, oh, he looks like he's a little bit more willing of a passer, uh, especially in those two India games. And it just has not happened. And I'm curious what you guys think. He has not played a single minute with Giles. And I swear, last year he felt like a more willing passer when Giles was out there with him. Did you guys feel the same way with that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good stat too. Um, yeah, it and is. I think I think part of Bagley's low assist ratio is his usage, like how he's used in Luke Walton's system. Because I still haven't figured out how he's actually used in Luke Walton's system. That's another mystery. Um, but I think he's certainly not a willing. I, I wouldn't even say he's not a willing passer. He just doesn't look to pass. Um, okay, last stat, and this is as of Monday night, so this doesn't include the Dallas game. Um, as of through 40 games last year, the Kings had scored 905 fast break points. They have scored 471 fast break points through 40 games this year. Yeah, this kind of gets into a, a conversation, and we're running a little bit long here. I don't want to keep you from uh, your loving family that you claim hates you, Tim, but we know that's a lie. Um, okay. I mean, the pace thing. It, it, I mean, it's been speeding up a little bit recently. Uh, we have seen a lot of comments on the pace. Darren Fox talked about it in the post game last night. I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it, it's speeding up to you. And, I mean, do you, A, do you want it to speed up? I mean, that's probably a dumb question. But do you want it to speed up? Let's ask you, Brendan. You want it to speed up, and do you think it's speeding up to an adequate rate? And do you think that will change much for the rest of the season? 
Uh, I, I definitely think it's speeding up. I, I think that since Fox has come back, we've really seen a speed up and then Bagley returning as well. Bagley's a guy that definitely is able to get out and transition. I think the last few games, uh, De'Aaron gets going to his left in transition and he's practically unstoppable there. So I think just Fox being available has made it speed up, but we did not see that the first nine games that Fox was there. Um, so it seems like Walton's gone back to it a little bit, even though he did have his comments on, uh, he thinks that the turnovers are caused by a high pace, even though that clearly was not the case last year. But I think it is, and I think it's good that it's happening, um, and I would hope that it stays that way. I don't know if it needs to get all too much higher. I think it could go up a bit, but recently I felt okay about the pace. What about yourself, Tim? Yeah, pace has definitely picked up. I think um, my main frustration with the pace argument or subject is that I feel like Luke Walton's reasoning changes game to game as to why or why not they are playing with pace. Like early in the season, he said, I'm purposefully not paying, playing fast because we need to learn how to run a half court offense and play defense. But then like three games later, it was, oh, well, we have too many, too, too, too many turnovers. And then it was, no, we are going to kick up the pace. And then it was, oh, well, we have injuries. So Fox is out. So we're not, and it's, it just feels like there's like, just play fast. Like just, and we saw Dave Yeager last year scream every game, run, run, run. And actually Luke Walton kind of had a snide comment about that. I think it was in the off season where he was like, pace isn't just screaming, run, run, run. And I'm, I didn't quote that perfectly, but maybe these guys need that a little bit. Um, and last night, the Kings uh, played well in the first quarter and they had 12 fast break points in the first quarter, which is more than the average per game this year. So they've got a, I, I agree, Brendan. I think the pace is, is good right now. If they can keep that consistent, maybe bump it up a little bit um, and then keep that focus, not only in the first quarter, but throughout the entire four quarters, even when your legs are tired. I think that's maybe where we're, we're falling short a little bit this season. Yeah. The narrative on pace has been just weird. Um, just weird. Like you said, Walton was, you know, started off saying they need to play slow because he needs to teach them how to play basic defense. And then that changes. And then it becomes, well, I've told them they can play fast if they want to play fast, but they don't want to play fast. And then I think there's been some weird stuff like Darren Fox's dad, I think, tweeted about pace. Uh, and just like, well, that's on, that's on Darren. If he wants to play fast, he has to go out there and do it. And then the team has kind of taken that stance was like, well, we we're, we could if we want to, we just got to go get it. And then it just feels like at times, and then just last night, Walton said that, well, when you play fast, you make these defensive mistakes. And then, you know, and Fox kind of disagreed later on, just saying that he doesn't see them as mutually exclusive. You can play good defense and play fast on offense. So it's just been a roller coaster. One thing, uh, also a quote from last night, I think it'd be good for you to touch on a little bit here, Rich, since you're in the locker room at, a lot with these guys, is uh, Heald's comments on the fans. I, I think that they were portrayed a little unfairly, uh, but about the fans booing last night, just says everybody's frustrated, not only them, we're trying to figure it out too. We don't agree with it, but they're going to voice their opinion. I understand their frustration. That's how Sacramento fans are. You've got to embrace it. It's fun, though. You've just got to keep competing. They want to win. They need to get back to the playoffs, so I feel their pain. Uh, it was kind of overblown, right, Rich? Uh, I was not actually there last night, but I will say that just on the video scene of the full thing, it, here's what I'll say. That poll quote is is really not a great quote. Um, you probably just shouldn't say that, period, like if you're if you're trying to put on a good face for the public, but 
I definitely think that in context, it's not a big deal at all. I think that he said, you know, he's, he's, he's a pretty tongue in cheek kind of guy and he makes kind of good hearted jabs about all types of things. And, and even in the context, it was just very, very benign, but at the same time, um, you could, if you wanted to be like Bogdan Bogdanovich and be completely perfect in front of the media at all times. So just say that. Yeah, it was, it was overblown. I didn't have, once I watched the video, I didn't really, it was like not the smartest thing to say, but I don't think he meant it as insulting or like Kings fans are not loyal. I think he was just saying that we're not playing well and, and they're going to, they're going to be unhappy when, when you're not playing well. And I think that's fair. Yeah, definitely not meant as a shot. It, it seemed, but I'll also just say that I, I'm just, just going back a little bit to our buddy and Bogdanovich conversation it's always just surprised me how Bogdanovich is extremely reserved, has never put one word out of line. Like he is, you know, I'm not saying that in their heart of hearts, they don't feel one way and say another thing, but like that's kind of part of being an athlete. It may, you know, I've just, I've always been impressed with how Bogdanovich has never spoken about having any issue with anything, money, role, whatever 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 um it's just interesting to me that's another difference between these two players and how they behave and i'm not saying one is better than the other shooting from the hip versus you know being very reserved but it's just another interesting difference there you know who's also great with the media luca (laughs) oh boy (laughs) what's your last king stat here tim i think that's it okay uh okay Want to give you a little bit of time at the end here, man, and plug all your work that everybody loves. Uh, you can follow me at Tim Axel 22 or more commonly known as Sacktown Baby Giraffe. Um, you can follow my work right now at Sacktown Royalty until they fire us all in a couple of months. Um, mm. Because I don't want to pay us, even though my contract would have been valid. Anyway, I'll digress. I digress. Um, so yeah, find me on Twitter, find me on Sacktown Royalty. I usually post three, four times a week. Uh, Rich is also a writer over there and then at some point these guys will have me back when I won't cancel on them because I'm a sick child absolutely we'll have you back anytime you want and I am sure that you will be writing no matter what uh, SB Nation wants to whatever decisions they want to make I'm sure that you'll be writing and I'm sure that people will be reading it I have no doubt about that so looking forward to that thanks guys yeah, and congr- thanks for coming on, Tim. And congrats to Rich getting on the B, man. Everybody be sure to check out his work that's going to come out there as well. But thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. Hear from us again in the next couple of days.